0: Hello, it is Tuesday, May 28th. Yesterday was Memorial Day. I hope you said your thanks to all the American badasses that sacrificed it all for this incredible country of ours. If you're in Canada, you too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They wouldn't be who they are without us. You don't want to
0: leave them out? We appreciate it. We're a nice little tag team. Canada Mm -hmm. Canada and us are a nice little tag Mm -hmm. team. Happy Memorial Day. I hope you had an incredible weekend. Today's show is lined up with great conversations. I don't know if you've heard of the guy, Mike Greenberg, also Mm. known as Greenie. stops by and gives a 30-minute interview. I don't think I've ever heard anything like it before. Mm -mm. No way. We're checking the internet for him. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. We got a chance to chat with him about the the Mike and Mike split, about the life at ESPN, about the NBA, about his future, about meeting his heroes. I mean, it was a great conversation. And Alexander Rossi, the second-place finisher at the Indy 500, joins us where... He opens up about not particularly loving every other driver that was in the <laughs> It was awesome. And I'm very thankful you chose to listen today. And I'm also very thankful to SeatGeek, who is our presenting sponsor. SeatGeek gives us the most money, so we read their ad at front. See <laughs> <Which> that? Is, <laughs> that how it works. Which we appreciate. A little behind the curtain here of this podcast business. SeatGeek is the first ad because you know why? They're first class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're first rate. Yes. Oh, yeah. And they're first on planet Earth and the moon. Oh, yeah when it comes to being a ticket-buying app because they scan all the other ticket-buying platforms, all the other ones. They go nosing around, big old noses too, like Toucan fucking Sam, and they make sure you're getting the most bang for your buck. Bang, bang. The best ticket available at the best price available is what you're getting from your friends at SeatGeek, and it's not just sports. Nope. No, yeah. no, no, no. Although they do have every single yeah, sports. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every single thing happening that's a live event, they have you covered. If it's theater, if it's comedy, if it's a play, I guess that's theater, you get it. <laughs> Sports as well. SeatGeek has the best ticket available at the best price. And so right now, if you use promo code PAT, you get $10 off your first order. Use promo code MAC if you get $20 off your first order. Ooh. A little self-awareness here. If you're a wealthy individual, let's go with PAT to get $10 off. Don't be greedy. Exactly. Pigs get fed. Pigs All get, get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And if you're... a not rich yet, you're on your way to becoming a wealthy individual, use McAfee, get $20 off your first SeatGeek order. Shout out to SeatGeek and shout out to a legend joining us today. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a guy who has honestly been the voice of sports for decades now. Joined ESPN in 1996. Then he had a 17-year run with Mike and Mike. Now you can see him on every single morning on ESPN with the show Get Up. He's a New York Times bestseller. And he's a legend in the sports casting world. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Greenberg.
2: Let's go! Hello. That was a very nice introduction. I appreciate it. How
0: are you? I'm fantastic. I can't thank you enough for joining us. This is just a little tiny podcast, and you are a legend amongst all of us, so I'm very thankful for that. First things first, when you graduated from Northwestern University and you got a job at ESPN, did you ever think that you were going to be basically the face and voice of ESPN?
2: Well, no. I mean, and I don't know that I'm the face or the voice of ESPN, but I, I can <laughs> tell you that when I when I graduated... It took me a long time to get to ESPN. Um, so my goal was when I got out of school, I wanted to be a sports center anchor because at that time, that was the pinnacle. There were no shows like Mike and Mike. There was no PTI. There were no those shows didn't exist yet. And um, all of the, the what we now know as sports talk was local, and it was mostly just starting, um, and it was almost all exclusively radio. And so I, I worked in sports radio in Chicago for years six years before I got to ESPN. Um, and my, my absolute uh, goal, what I consider to be the pinnacle, was to be a Sports Center anchor. And that was what I wanted. And I still believe SportsCenter is the Rolls-Royce of the sports news and information business. So that was my goal. I, there was no such thing as the career path that I have sort of fallen into. So if you had told me, I think the answer to your question is, if you had told me when I was 21, 22 years old, That my life was going to turn out this way, I would never have believed you. It It has been infinitely more than I could ever have realistically expected.
0: Well, I think what you're saying, though, is such a humble opinion because although I did grow up during the Sports Center era and highlights kind of took over the world, you are a guy who is held in high regards by everybody. And when I've met you, I honestly expected a guy to be a bit snobby. To be honest, <laughs> I, I thought you're going to be, I thought you're going to be a bit snobby. But instead, you're a consummate gentleman and treat everybody around you with so much respect. And I don't think that's a normal thing. I think you should be very proud of being one of the voices of ESPN.
2: Uh, that's nice of you to say. Thank you very much. Well, we've very much enjoyed having you on the show. know, I've told everybody when they asked me about you, I say he's he's crazy, and <laughs> he, goes, he he knows exactly. Here's what I think is is, is the thing I was most impressed with you uh, on my show is there are every place you go, there is a different line. You know, there are lines you can you can cross here that you couldn't cross there, and and so on and so forth. And I think you immediately understood where you could reasonably go on a show like mine and where you should not go past. And I think that the fact that you picked that up so quickly, uh, you know, sort of eased whatever nervousness <laughs> any of us <laughs> had <have, laughs> about having you there. And and so now you have a, an open invitation, and it has always been a lot of fun. And I know that I told you this, but I thought that you just were magnificent at the NFL draft. I, I thought that was extraordinarily Well done. I know that we exchanged notes briefly after that, but I I thought that was absolutely sensational.
0: Well, that means a lot coming from you. I appreciate it. Anytime I get a chance to be in a pre-show meeting with you, I very much understand that I am among some of the greatest humans to ever get on TV. Do you feel an obligation every single morning To deliver magic. And I say that because I was in a situation on your show that kind of wrapped it up that involved race debate. It involved a lot of things. Do you ever feel like an obligation to make sure that everybody gets their point across and it's fair and and balanced coverage on your show?
2: Yes, uh, for sure. I mean, well, those are a couple of different things. So starting with this, if, if you're nice enough to come and appear on my show, the only person who is on my show every single day is me. Um, Jalen Rose is a a full-time member of the show, and he was an original host on the show, but obviously with the NBA playoffs, his responsibilities have him in LA and on the road so much. And then the rest of the cast is just constantly revolving. We have some people who are more regular than others, but by and large, um, everyone who appears with me is a guest. And so I think it is imperative that everyone gets a chance to say what they want to say. I, I think it would be Totally unreasonable for me to ask you to fly in from from wherever you're coming from um, to spend you know however much time you are in New York and not get the opportunity to to do your thing on my show. So I feel very much obliged to make sure that you and everybody get a, a chance to really be themselves and, and express whatever it is they may want to on the show. Now, as far as balance and all the rest of that, um, yes, I, I think that. Um, I'd like to think that I'm an, uh, an open-minded person, which is to say, I think a truly open-minded person is open to hearing everyone's perspective on everything and always willing to have my mind changed on almost anything. Um, and, you know, I, I remember Max Kellerman once said, we were in like, a disagreement about something, and he said, I love debating because either I prove how smart I am or I learn something. And that's sort of the way I approach it. So I remember the day you're talking about, Isaiah Thomas was there, and we were talking about a, a variety of topics. And those are those are serious and they're important and they are things that make people that people react to very strongly. You know, it is very difficult to maintain reason when you feel a lot of emotion. And those are subjects that, that um, people are very emotional about. I try and be as reasonable as I can when it comes to stuff like that. But I hope that anyone feels like, with almost no exception, anyone's point of view is welcome on my show. I mean, there are obviously certain places that we're not going to go. But by and large, Anyone, anyone who wants to bring some honest emotion to my show is more than welcome to do so. It's getting good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, With old
0: Greeny. What a guy, man! Straight off the golf course, spending his Memorial Day with us. Nice guy. Now that we had JJ Watt last week, and Greeny today, plus Alexander Rossi later today. You know what I'm doing tonight? Hmm. Sleep great. Oh <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna sleep easy. Yeah. You know why? Because I have the greatest mattress on planet Earth, and that's from our friends at Lisa. Lisa Sleep is a company that completely changed the mattress game completely. Yes, two completelys in that sentence because it's a revolutionary thing. You don't have to go to the weird mattress stores anymore mm-hmm. with creepy dudes and ladies telling you, oh, you, you're going to like this one. The springs are <laughs> a little harder than this one. And you're going to lay in it, not knowing that there was a Zito laying in that just about 10 minutes beforehand, Uh-oh. sweating all over the no place. Socks. No socks. letting their feet there. And they're like, are you comfortable in this one? You're like, how do I know? There's 45 people looking at me whether or not this is the right <laughs> bed. This isn't a regular <laughs> sleeping operation. Let me tell you what Lisa did. Lisa did all the studies that you need to make sure you're getting the best bed available, the most comfortable bed possible. and it's just showing up right at your doorstep. That's convenience if I've ever heard of it, and that's comfort if I ever heard of it. Lisa right now is giving you 15% off any mattress plus two free pillows at leesa.com forward slash McAfee. That's leesa.com forward slash McAfee. Lisa Sleep, a company that has revolutionized the mattress game, gave you a very comfortable bed, very convenient best bed you'll ever sleep on it shows up right at your doorstep in a box you unbox that thing in how long ty about two minutes bang all of a sudden you're the master of the mattress also lisa is a company that wants to leave the world a better place than they found it not only do they plant trees for every single mattress sold they also give away beds (laughs) i was a part of an awesome scenario where we gave away a hundred beds to the Coburn Place, which is a sanctuary for domestic and interpersonal violence victims. Lisa was there on the call, on the spot, excited to do it. And that's what you're doing whenever you buy a mattress from Lisa. You're sleeping better, and you're making the world a better place. L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash McAfee. Shout out Lisa, and shout out you for listening to this. It's about to get good with Greeny. You kind of have to do this fine balancing act where you have this open mind, but it's organized chaos happening around you at all times on that Get Up show. It is There's notes being sent in, we're going to this, we're doing this, and then on the fly new things are being said. It's incredible watching you work. I want to let you know. That's the one thing I very much have noticed since doing that show is just watching you balance and kind of handle the chaos that's happening all around you during that show is the most impressive thing that I've got a chance to watch. And it's like, whenever you watch a maestro conduct an orchestra or a painter paint it's like something next level honestly watch because you got notes flying into you you got this happening you got this happening this person wants to say this you kind of got to balance it all and it's so impressive with that being said get up is your show mike and mike for 17 years was dominant on the radio and on tv then you make this transition into a new chapter with get up did you feel a lot of pressure like your legacy was going to be judged on how get up did because you are taking this big leap to do a new show
2: I felt a lot of pressure. I wouldn't say it was because of my legacy. I I don't think sports announcers have legacies. Maybe a very, very small handful of them do. Maybe someone like Howard Cosell has a legacy. Maybe someone like um, Jim Nance will have a legacy. Um, For the most part, and I appreciate all the nice things you said about me, and I, I do think I'm pretty good at this job, but I'm also, I think that I will be forgotten very, very quickly after I'm done, oh. I, don't, I don't think that there is a really. La- I think the. I hope the lasting contributions that I'm able to make will come in the area of cancer research or uh, and a couple of other things that I work in, um, or, or or something else. Maybe someday I'll write a book that people will read long after I'm gone. Um, you know, otherwise I'm a sports talk show host, and um, I think I'm a good one. But those are generally. A, 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 not quite as difficult to come by and and not someone who is destined to be remembered long after their time. So, I felt Shh. a lot of pressure, but Hey, hold on. My-
0: I, you can't be this I am sick of you being this humble. I am sick of it. I, I want to let you know I'm sick. It
2: not, all, all kidding aside, no one is less humble than me. I'm, I have an extraordinarily healthy self opinion. <laughs> do you think ten years after I'm gone, do you honestly think people are going? Whenever it is, I retire, and I hope that's not for another twenty years or so. I honestly, I mean, people might remember the show, but I, I don't think people will be talking about me the way they remember. Um, you know, I, look, look. Let's put it this way. Let me give you a better example. I'm going to win this argument if indeed this is an argument. It is. Today I did a uh, what we call a down barrel, one of these essays, on-camera essays, about Bart Starr. Yep. Bart Starr di- died yesterday at the age of 85. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived. He still has the highest postseason passer rating of any quarterback in history, which is ludicrous when you consider that every passer rating is turned over 10 times since then but he still has the best passer rating in the playoffs he still has the best winning percentage in the playoffs he remains the only quarterback ever to have won three consecutive championships and the only one to win five championships within any decade and do you know that most people have no idea who he was none most of the fans that i was talking to today legitimate sports fans don't remember bart Starr. so if they don't remember bart Starr. 30 years after his career. I think it's pretty unlikely they're going to remember Greeny of 30 days. <laughs> after,
0: <laughs> Let me tell time. you why. People woke up with you for 17 years. You were on TVs and in radios with people while they went to work. They shared their life with the Mike and Mike crew. Then you, you yeah. guys separate to do your own things, and then get up happens. You didn't feel any sense of pressure like, hey, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a massive ordeal for me and how I'm going to be remembered
2: right no not not for how i'm gonna be remembered absolutely not but but that doesn't mean i didn't feel a lot of pressure i felt a lot of pressure because i understood that this was a really big undertaking for the network this was a a big thing we were trying to do here and that it wasn't easy um and i learned so much from it like the the beginning of it was so interesting to me like they give you we were three hours then we're two now but they they gave us three hours and they said here go do something in the morning on tv (laughs) That's at least a little bit different from anything anyone else is doing. Um, Go. And all you can do is make a bunch of educated guesses as to what that may be. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how good the people you have around you are, and no matter how smart you are, you're going to get a bunch of that wrong. And so we guessed. We got some of it right, some of it wrong. We started adjusting and adapting immediately. But unlike something like Mike and Mike, where we started out with no one paying any attention to us, in this case, we went through all of our growing pains under a really, you know, really bright light. It was a it was a a, a microscope on us, and so that was a challenge. There's no question that was a challenge. So that was the part of it. Trying to get the show right was where I felt the pressure. It had nothing to do with how am I going to remember what I'm done. It was really more about I need to figure this out. Like I need to figure out what it is that American sports fans want to get up in the morning and watch on television that, that is at least a little bit different from anything that has been there in the past. And I think that we are we are working our way towards that. And we certainly haven't gotten it exactly right yet, but I think we're getting closer and closer. Um, and so that, I would say that the answer to your question is, yes, I did feel a lot of pressure to succeed. We, we they, they gave me this really big responsibility and said, here, Greeny, go do this. And I felt an enormous obligation to come through for them. Um, but it was much less about, about how I might be remembered 20 years from now because who knows what's going to happen between now and then? I've got a lot of career left. Um, I, I would say that I, I felt a lot of pressure because this was a big undertaking for, for a lot of people whom I like who put a lot of faith in me, and I didn't want to let them down.
0: Well, I think you've done a great job. The show is very entertaining. I think it gives great takes. I think there's a lot of knowledge to be dropped on there, and every time I get to come on, I, I very much appreciate it. Let's swing now to the sports world. The NBA now is faced with an incredible opportunity here with the entire country of Canada potentially rallying around one team in Toronto. Do you think there's any chance that the Raptors can beat the Golden State Warriors? And how will ESPN cover the entire country of Canada being excited about one team rolling?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to the second part of that. I mean, it, it is it is an interesting phenomenon that you really do have this national... Fan base behind this team. Unfortunately, it's a different nation. Uh, <laughs> purposes, but, but it's a good nation. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah it's of nearby, course. <laughs> it's it's a proximate nation. So, in all that part of it is good. Um, so, I, I think that's good. I think the Raptors being in there are good. I, for one, am kind of excited to see some new blood and some new faces in there. The Warriors and the Cavs, four straight years, obviously, it was great. And I do think the postseason missed LeBron to a significant degree. Mm-hmm. But I, as a fan of the sport all my life, i am happy to see a new team in there and and something different from what we've been seeing in the past in the absence of Kevin Durant and I do not think Durant is going to play at all in the absence of Kevin Durant I give the Raptors a puncher's chance I do not expect them to win I picked on the air today Warriors in six if KD was playing I would take the Warriors in five Um, but I do see a way that Toronto wins this I, I think if Kawhi is awesome I think they have great defense. I had a long conversation with Tom Thibodeau today, who um, is, is, is like a basketball savant. And he was talking to me about great length because I was complaining about Milwaukee's offensive execution. I was just looking for a game seven. I really didn't care who <laughs> won that series, but I really wanted a seventh game. And so I got very frustrated watching Milwaukee play offense, or if, if you could even, it's almost an insult to offense anywhere to describe what they did in that fourth quarter <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday night as offense. And he was telling me, Green, you were selling short what Toronto was doing defensively. And they have all these all-defensive players. Kawhi Leonard, defensive player of the year. Marcus Gasol, defensive player of the year. Pascal Siakam, outstanding defender. They have a bunch of really good defenders. So if they can make life a little bit more difficult for the Splash Brothers, guard on the perimeter a little bit, just take completely away anyone whose names are not Steph, Clay or Draymond in that series, then yeah, they have home court advantage. I think they'll win one of the first two at home. <clears throat> so so I, I, if I had to predict right now, I would predict I'll go back to Golden State 1-1. And then the question is, can Toronto find a way to win one of those two games in Oakland? If they do, then I think they have a real chance to win the series. And otherwise, I think Golden State will either win it in five or a relatively easy six.
0: You, do, you talked about just talking to Thibodeau there. Who, who's somebody you talked to where you got a little starstruck? Anybody? Because you, I mean, when I was there, <laughs> you just got stars coming. I think after I left, Magic Johnson came in the next <laughs> week. It was just like everybody comes through there. Who is somebody you've been starstruck that you got a chance to talk to?
2: Well, I mean, over the course of my career, I've, I've had the, the opportunity to meet just about every hero I ever had growing up as a kid and they're the, still the ones I get the most excited about like the the more current I'm a lot older than you are so no. as 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 great as it is to see someone like I am just trying to think of a, of an example of a great modern day player someone like LeBron James uh, or anyone else like I remember him when he was in high school oh, yeah. you know and, and I mean I admire him greatly please don't get me wrong that's not what I mean but but even a guy like 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 you played with Peyton Manning who's 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 you know one of the five greatest quarterbacks that ever lived um you know, I don't. I don't feel in awe of him. In part because I'm just older than him, and it would just. It's just kind of weird. But like, I did an event this past week with Joe Namath. Now, when I was a kid, Joe Namath was. We were. I lived in a household where we did not have any religion. Our deity was Joe Namath. Right? <laughs> that, that was. That was who we believed in. That was who we worshipped. I've said many times, my mother would have left my father for Joe Namath, and my father would have applauded her for doing it. Um, so the first time I met Namath, and I've done a few things with him, the first time I met Namath, I, I I couldn't believe that we were in the same room. The first time I met Walt Frazier, I grew up in New York in the 70s. So the, the, my two heroes, my idols, because not only were they great athletes, and I was a sports crazed kid, but not only were they great players, but they just had a coolness about them that I just loved were were Joe Namath and Walt Frazier and the first time I ever met either of them both of you know each of them I think was the most excited I've ever been to meet anyone and then I've also met a lot of people from outside the sports world that I went crazy the time Jerry Seinfeld came on Mike and Mike I I almost couldn't talk (laughs) Uh, I loved I loved that show I loved I used to say he put my life I was a thin, single, neat guy living on my own at the time that show was on the air. I basically said he took my life, put it on TV, and made a billion dollars. <laughs> I, I loved him. And so when I met Jerry for the first time, I was really – I was—I would say I was very starstruck. Um, like it mo- it's, it's mostly some of the older players, the people that I grew up watching and admiring, even ones who might not have been as as famous – to everyone else, but guys who were very big to me, a uh, very big deal to me. Like when I met, I, to me, again, growing up in the 70s, like Bob Greasy was a very big deal. Terry Bradshaw was a very big deal. Ken Stabler, Roger Staubach. That's the era of football I grew up watching. And so anytime I ever was in a I the first Super Bowl I ever covered for ESPN, I got invited. Someone got sick. Robin and someone. And now, honestly, I can't remember who it was. I'm embarrassed. It might have been Ron Jaworski. We're supposed to host this Super Bowl party. And Jaws, I believe, got sick. And so they asked me to fill in, to pinch in. I was, this was the first year of Mike and Mike. I couldn't have been less famous. But I, was, I happened to be standing there. So they said, can you just come show up and, and introduce a few people with Robin? So I did. And at this party was basically every NFL star from the 70s. And I remember calling my dad. This was before there was texting, and my father never would have texted anyway. <laughs> um, but I remember calling my dad and saying, "Dad, you are not going to believe where I am." But I'm in a room, and two tall Jones is here. Oh, and um, like Lynn Swan is here. I, mean, I remember the guys who all these great players from that era, all these players of the '70s. Those are the guys I grew up. Watching Julia and then from basketball, Julius Irving and Elvin Hayes, and people like that. So that's a very long-winded answer to what was a pretty direct question. Um, <laughs> no, it's a good answer, by the way. <laughs> those really. were the guys. Those are the guys I've been the most in awe of. Which were the guys I grew up watching.
0: Okay, so you mentioned Broadway Joe there early as being the guy. That was back when the Jets were good at football. Now they're firing their GM after spending hundreds of millions of dollars doing an entire draft round, and now they're in a situation where a guy who looked very lost at his opening press conference is now in the same position as Bill Belichick, both as GM and head coach. (laughs) The state of the Jets is a hilarious one. You're one of the most famous Jets fans. Is there any hope for the New York Jets in the next decade to see any success?
2: Well, Actually, I think the answer is yes. And if there's one thing that bothers me the most about what I would describe as the utter ineptitude of the ownership and the way that situation was handled, it is that things were going so well. Like, I, I, I did not like I did not think Mike McKagan did a good job. I thought he deserved to get fired when they fired Bowles. If it were up to me, I would have fired the general manager McCagnon as well. And started over again from there. Because this was the most important offseason the Jets have ever had in their entire franchise. They had to hire a new coach. They had a high draft pick. And they had, oh, this is, every team has that one year that they've been building up to financially. And this is the year they're going to spend all their money. Everyone in the world knew this was that year. So this was the year to totally remake the franchise. So I was not in favor of letting McCagnon do that. But the owner decided to. And I said, okay, he's he's, he's he's backing his guy, okay. And so they went out, they hired a coach, and I thought it was the right coach. Everyone in New York was very down on the hiring of Gase. I was not. You need someone to work with the quarterback. The one thing Gase has always done well is work with the quarterback. Peyton Manning loved him. Jay Cutler loved him. Ryan Tannehill loved him. The quarterbacks love him. So the Jets need to develop the young quarterback in Darnold. I'm on board with that. I was good with that hiring. They spent a bunch of money. Do I think the Le'Veon Bell contract is going to look real good three years from now? No, I don't. But I do think giving the young quarterback that guy it, at this stage of his career is a good move, and it's worth whatever money they had to spend on it. And then the draft, I think it fell to them. But I mean, they got well, the guy that almost everyone was telling me was the best player in the whole draft at number three in Quinn and Williams. You let the guy do the whole draft. I felt very optimistic. I felt like things are sort of going in a positive direction. So to then, 18 days later, do a deep dive and realize you have to fire your general manager this second (laughs) (laughs) is the most most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. And that it it is an example of just utter mismanagement and ineptitude. And in all honesty, if the New York Jets were a publicly traded company and Christopher Johnson was the CEO, the board of directors would fire him with cause immediately. (laughs) 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 Having said that, that's not the way it works. I still think, once you sort of get past how awful that looked, that they're in a reasonably decent place. They have a a guy who I think, and I'd I'd be interested to hear if you agree, I saw a lot of signs from Sam Darnold last year that suggested me he might be a really good player. And they got a good slot receiver for him in Jamison Crowder, and they got Le'Veon Bell, who should be a terrific addition And they have a bunch of really good young players on defense, including obviously Jamal Adams, who's one of the best young defensive players in the whole sport. And they drafted this guy, Quinn and Williams. or they have Leonard Williams. They have some players. And they have a a coach who I think is a good offensive mind. And they have a defensive coach in Greg Williams, who, you know, whatever happened in New Orleans happened. But I think he's always been an effective defensive coordinator. So I actually think the pieces are in place for what could be a decent team, which is why I was so frustrated that this happened last week or two weeks ago now, I guess it was, because it just made the Jets look terrible when it felt like they were going in the right direction. But I still think there is a chance they could be decent this year and on their way to being better than
0: that. I'll tell you what, you sound so much like every New York Jet fan <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. So, I think so? So pessimistically optimistic. It's, yeah. it's an incredible, I think Lev Bell helps out a young quarterback more than anybody could ever imagine. I mean, yep. they're going to have to load the box because Lev Bell's there. Also, Lev Bell's a weapon out of the backfield as a wide receiver. I think Sam Darnold shows glimpses of something spectacular, but it's all in coaching and surrounding it. I'm excited to see it, but it just feels like And this is just an outsider looking in, and I think you probably feel the same way. Somehow, some way, the Jets are going to Jets. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. But I love the team. I like the way. And Brant Boyer, your special teams coordinator, good guy. Just for future reference, he'll roll the dice a little bit. So I like the team a lot. I just think the Jets always find a way to fuck themselves. I mean, it 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 always seems to happen. I don't think you Jets fans deserve it. Last question is this. Yeah. What is the end game for Mike Greenberg? You said you want to write another book that people will remember in 30 years from now. Do you want to executive produce a show that's whenever you're retired? Do you want to be on a call? Do you want to own the Jets? Do you want to GM a team? What is the end game? you want to be a professional golfer you just got off the course today?
2: Well, so you've just just listed a bunch of options, many of which I would choose were they realistic. So uh, (laughs) if I could be a professional golfer, I would do that immediately. How is your game? Uh, my game is is by the stand. I mean, it's. I'm. A, my index is 8.2. So, I mean, I, depending on how good you are, that's either reasonably good or terrible. Like I, I, I know a bunch of people who are way better than me, and they're never making a living playing golf. Let's put it that way. So that's not on the list. of golf. I would like to broadcast golf. I had the opportunity to dip my toe in that water at the Masters. Um, ESPN gets the rights to the PGA Championship next year, and I would love to be involved in that. And I would love to slowly work my way into a little bit of, of the coverage of golf, because that is my favorite sport. Um, I'd like to keep doing the show that I am doing now. I told uh, the people I work for that in my head, I have it in my head that I'm going to do the show for 10 years. I, I love it. I love the lifestyle. I want. I, I love being in New York. I like, I, I like everything about it. My goal is to do that for roughly 10 years and then sort of assess where I am. By that time, I will have been doing a daily show, basically five days a week, every day for 30 years. And it might be time to sort of get at that that point, it'll be 30 years. So I'll sort of work my way, see where I want to go at that point. In the meantime, I have my hands in a bunch of different things and we'll see what happens. I have a few shows that we're developing in the both that are scripted and some that are unscripted. I am writing another book. Um, So we'll see what winds up coming, you know, coming through. But in the interim, you know, I really we still I still feel at the very beginning, of this show, and I, I still feel like I want to make sure it gets to a place where it is it is solid and repeatable, and we can continue to do it um, for as long as I want to do it. And I think we're heading in that direction. Are you writing a sitcom? <laughs> I have written multiple sitcoms. What? Um, I didn't know you, know, you were a screenwriter. I, I how much you know about that? That when you say that as though you've done it. Um, you know, it's a tough it's a tough gig. <laughs> uh, but if, if if you write a sitcom, you basically the way I would describe it is there were like 10 hurdles you have to jump over for it to get on the air. I've gotten on some of them like as far as like seven hurdles, but it, none of them have ever been on the air. But yes, I have two of them in the pipeline now and we'll see if, it, if anything ever winds up happening.
0: I, well, I, I had no idea that you were just a screenwriter behind it. When do you find the time? I, I, it makes no sense. You got you to executive producer show in the morning, then you got to do all these other obligations. And then just at night before you go to bed with your beautiful bride, Stacey, by the way, a lot of fun to follow on the internet, you just go ahead and write a screen. Like, what, how does that even happen?
2: Well, see, here's the beauty of this. I love, and I would love you to keep this between us. I love, I love how busy everyone perceives me to be. All right, I, I have, I have a job that ends at ten o'clock in the morning. Okay? I have a lot of time to do stuff. Um, when we started, Mike and Mike, I, um, I, I over, the, over the course of time that I did Mike and Mike, I, I, I got off, you know, the air at ten o'clock in the morning. I wrote over the course of that, that stretch. I wrote five books. I shaved fourteen shots off my handicap, and I picked my kids up at school literally every day. That's what life is like when your job ends at ten o'clock in the morning. Huh. The flip side of that is that for eighteen years I got up at three o'clock.
3: <laughs>
2: That's that was that was a trade off, and it was one that I would make, again, a hundred times out of a hundred for all of the opportunities that I've had, primarily with my kids. You know, my daughter is graduating from high school next week, and um, I'm going through a really, really wistful time with that, to be completely honest (laughs) with you. She's going to college in the fall, and it's just impossible for me to believe. And my son, Steven, and I were just out playing golf today, and he's 16. So, you know, that stage in our lives is sort of coming to an end. But when my kids were little, I was at school with them literally every day. I picked them up from school every single day. And um, that was the best time I, I've ever had. That's and awesome. so I would I would not give that part of it up for anything. Look, I wouldn't give up any of it. Who is who is luckier at the end of the day than I am? I'm just a kid who grew up in New York City who loved sports. and And to the point that you made off the beginning of the conversation, I mean, look what's happened to me. So, you know, I, I, I'm probably the most fortunate person I know, um, and and I, I just am going to continue to try and do things the way I have been doing them, you know, for for the next little while. But, but to go back to the reason that we started this, um, I have more than enough time to write books and write script, scripts and any number of other things that I've been doing because, you know, as, as you know, we roll out of there at latest like 11 o'clock in the morning, and I have my whole day ahead of me.
0: Well, I want to let you know, it wasn't given, it's earned. Mr. Greenberg. You deserve every single part of it. And if there's any extra spots, you know, for like bartender, bouncer, or anything you got like going on at sitcom, I'd love to be cast. I'm, I'm just looking for it. You know what I mean?
2: But let that, you know what? I, I I could easily see there being a place for you in almost anything I get involved with. In. So <laughs> let's stay in touch on that.
0: Hey, you're the best. Good luck with that. Thank you so much for your hospitality on your show and for coming on here today. I know you don't do a lot of interviews because you're so busy all the time. I am so thankful <laughs> and uh, you're the man, dude. Good luck with everything. Another 10 years of greatness i can't wait to watch
2: thank like, you it was a pleasure and let's do it again and i'll see you in new york sometime soon
0: you got it ladies and gentlemen northwestern university grad voice of get up and mike and mike new york times bestseller and maybe fucking scorsese by the end of this whole thing <laughs> mike greenberg <laughs> thank you man
2: thank you very much it was a pleasure that was fun
0: so so nice of you to do this you're the best i'm
2: glad
0: i'm pretty good golfer okay. by the
2: way what's that i'm pretty good golfer you are. I'm guessing you are. All you football players are good golfers. What, what is your index?
0: Uh, it depends. It, 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 it can go anywhere from like a 13 to a 2. It depends <laughs> on how I'm playing in the
2: day. Well, the next time you're in town, let's go. My, my, I play at Bayonne. It's a fun place to go and it's easy to get to from our studio. So the next time you come do the show, we'll go right from the set.
0: All right. I'll bring my clubs. I appreciate yeah. you, man.
2: All right, man. Good to talk to you.
0: You too. Congrats to your daughter graduating high school.
2: Oh, Jesus. She graduates a week from Thursday. I I'm never going to live through this experience. Really.
0: <laughs> college college is going to be some wild times there to be
2: a dad. I know. I'm just going, you know, she'll be fine. She she's she's more than mature enough for this. It's me who's not.
0: <laughs> Empty nest is a real kick in the ass, man. I'll be I'll be excited yeah. to see you handle it. That's another thing you got to organize chaos that you deal with on a daily basis. You know yeah. what I mean? Watching those papers come into you, and then, like, we're live in three seconds. You going when? <laughs> right now, and then we're live, and then you're reading, and then you're throwing. It is a talent, man. It's fun to watch.
2: Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I've been doing it a long time, so I guess I somewhere along the line, I figured it out.
0: Hey, by the way, my last name? McAfee. I yeah.
2: know <laughs> I get it wrong every goddamn time. I, <laughs> I, I, I to, for some reason, I always want to say McCaffrey. I, I don't know why, and, and and I obviously, I know your name, and, and yet... Every single time I look at you, my inclination is to say McCaffrey. And and, you- and, and yet, somehow, I almost think that's gotten... It's almost good. It's almost better. Like, yes. I don't know why, but for some reason, I feel like it works in every way.
0: Well, it works for me. It makes it helps me tell the story better. And also, <laughs> my people on the internet respect it a lot more. And I might just change my name to McCaffrey, to be honest with you. <laughs>
2: All
4: right, fellas. Thank you, Greeny.
2: Take care, Pat. I'll see you. Yeah. Good
0: guy.
4: Yeah. Uh, a little too humble for my liking. A little bit too humble? It was a little bit too humble. I mean... He's eh. kind of
0: jocking You're like, most humble guy on earth
4: here. Yeah, it's really hard to talk for 30 minutes about yourself and then still spin how <laughs> humble you are, you know? <laughs> he is, though. He should be. No, he was great.
0: Honestly, he is so good in, like, the pre-show meetings there at ESPN. Like, he's... Point guy for it. I mean, he's a part of all I didn't even ask about his Louboutins. He only wears Louboutins (laughs) shoes. Nice. But he is so cool.
1: You know how he's like king of the form, I guess, of everybody right now? Like he's just the master of running the show. It would be cool to see if he ever, because he writes books, he's obviously a great storyteller and he likes that. It would be cool to see as he progresses, does he end up doing more like long-form biographical one-on-one stuff like Mm -hmm. Costas used to do. Mm, You know what I mean? I think he would be great at that. Him and some legendary athlete. Well, that's set. like
0: the um, – what's that show? It was originally with Joe Buck, and now it's with Dan Patrick. Uh, it's called Un-something.
5: Oh, I've God. seen it, yeah. yeah it's un- Is it it's like un- Uninterrupted un- or something?
0: Uninter- maybe. I think he would be the next good host of that because yeah. it's just a sit-down, hour-long conversation in front of a crowd – I, I haven't seen Dan Patrick's version. I'm sure it's incredible, but I watch a lot of Joe Bucks. He had Jerry Jones on there, and that was where Jerry Jones yeah. mm-hmm. gave the quote of all quotes where he's like, "You sometimes you're sitting in the fairway, and you're... 225 yards out on a par five and there's always an option to lay up or you just hit that motherfucker right to the green. (laughs) I go for the green every single time, Joe Buck. And that was just a quote that really stuck with me. I think I was watching it late night one night, like 2 a.m. And I'm like, Jerry Jones is that motherfucker. That show would be great with Greeny on it. It
1: would because, I mean, those are the best shows because these are legends and you want to know more about them. And a guy like that because he would bring a different energy than anybody's done in the past. Did you
0: hear him just rattle off all of Bart yeah. stats, by the way. He still has the highest postseason, blah, blah, bah bah. He has this, da, da, da. He has this, da, 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 And I'm like, what? where are your notes at? <laughs> he was awesome, man. Found a little issue there at the beginning, but we're all good.
6: Definition
4: that. of a consummate professional. Yes. Yeah, true. I
0: thought he was going to be an asshole. When I walked into that first pre-show <laughs> I meeting, I thought he was going to be a complete asshole. Thought, I Honestly, I was like, all right. Because you sit down, he showed up like 10 minutes before the meeting starts. Meeting starts like 6 a.m. or something, like 6.30, you gotta be there. I don't know if it's 6 a.m. or 6.30, but you get there and there's this, this one little glass room It's on that pier right there in New York that they built up in Seaport, and they're like, be here at this time. This when a meeting starts. And I think I was the first person there. It's like, I couldn't sleep the night before. I'm like, all right, this is going to be my first time really on ESPN. This is a big deal. And I, I bebop. They offered me a ride, but I was like, no, nah, I'm going to walk. So I put in my AirPods, you know, and I'm just walking through like New York City and there's nobody there. I'm like, this is a fucking movie right now, you know? <laughs> and Seaport is this area that has like cobblestone bricks on the ground. It's like a really cool area. Then you walk down this pier and then you get up there and they're like, ESPN? I'm like, yep, they go all the way up and I'm listening to music still and I get in there, and there's nobody there yet. I'm literally the first person there. And then a producer walks in. And he's like, oh, the meeting will be in there in like 10, 15 minutes. I was like, cool, I'll just go sit by myself in this corner. <coughs> so I sit in the corner, and I sit down in this room. And then people start to funnel in, you know? And I'm like, hi, my name's Pat. Nice to meet you. Hi, my name's Pat. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then there's a big TV that's up in uh, Connecticut, uh where's that bristol stamford bristol bristol connecticut there's like eight people on a tv there then there's like seven people and then all of a sudden fucking greeny comes walking in right and he sits down and before he would say anything he said patrick thank you so much for coming it's an honor to have you here sir and i was like well goddamn nice to meet you too man that was like my actual response <laughs> <laughs> and everybody in the room laughed and then we started the meeting and they start Pitching out ideas, like what we should talk about, what's hot topics, you know? And I was, like, kind of scared to interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt anybody. And Greeny, like, stopped the meeting, like, three times. He was like, Pat, how do you feel about this? And I was like, I think blah, 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 blah. He's like, perfect. That's beautiful. Don't make fun of his baby, but that's awesome. It was like like, a Drew Brees thing. It was like he really was, like, looking out for me. And I was like, man, you don't have to do this. This is so nice of you. He is a consummate gentleman and professional. And I'm so thankful he came on. So thankful he came on. Anything you didn't get to ask, Diggs? I
5: well, no, no, no. He uh, when he when you were bringing up what like his um, he had said many many times on Mike and Mike that his dream job would be commissioner of the MLB. And when we were rat- when you were rattling off those things, that's what I thought. Like I was going to chirp in, but then I, I said, could you know, see
0: him being a Nance up alternative. Up.
5: Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, also when Todd was talking about Costas, he's he's also talked about many times how uh, Costas is his idol. Like he, I so up can DeCostas see that too, and because the, they're similar in just how they are and who they are as people, yeah. And how they came up as sports fans, and not really playing sports or whatever, but right. So when you compare him to Costas, or maybe being like that, it's perfect because he said that's his has been his idol growing up.
0: Very very thankful for him coming on. Tweet him at ESPN Greeny. Please tell him we said thank you for stopping by. I mean, what a legend there! How about him just knocking down sitcoms on a regular basis, <laughs> <Yeah>. writing books. <laughs> What a guy. Thank him so much. At ESPN Greeny for coming on. He spent his Memorial Day with on the why,
4: Make sure people know that. Yeah, not IE.
0: Y, not IE. Good call. Hey, you.
4: There Just you looking out. Just looking out. So you're, out. So hey,
0: humble. you're so humble, man. I know.
4: <laughs> I know.
0: You should have seen the looks Nick was giving whenever he went in that little humble.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot.
0: He's one of the most successful sportscasters in the history yes. of sports. Yeah, yeah
5: we know. <laughs> I mean, you said he's, he is a voice. Him and, him and SVP are the voices of
0: ESPN. That's what they are. Start in the morning and end in the morning. Now, yep. Stephen A. Smith just got $10 million. I agree. Stephen A. Smith, hell of a voice from ESPN. Yeah. But Greeny is that guy.
5: For some reason, I don't associate because Greeny and SVP have been at ESPN forever. Like, and Stephen A. Smith has – I feel like he's more of, like, a hired assassin.
0: Well, that was a real thing, too, because I learned this with Bob and Tom. People, like, wake up with you. Mm-hmm. Like They literally feel like they're starting their day with you. So mm-hmm. for 17 years, people just started their day with Mike Greenberg mm-hmm. and Mike Golick. Like you become a part of their routine, their ritual. That's why whenever he decided to leave, it's like there's a lot of people that are probably like, hey, man, you're, you're kind of fucking up my morning routine. Here. <laughs> yeah. <Seriously. laughs> you know what I mean? And him saying that he felt the pressure of... Like, living up to what ESPN was putting behind it, like, that's a cool way to think about
5: it. You yeah, know? I mean, they're taking a big chance with that. With I
0: think they launched an entire new studio down there. They did. They, yeah, they, they built it.
5: that thing for them. Wow. It was beautiful.
0: It is a beautiful setup. And I think that show is only getting better, by the way. From the percent. first time I went there mm-hmm. to watching it to now, it's like that you see the big brains happening behind the scenes kind of cooking. Good for Greeny, man. Also, um, this past weekend, a pretty large race happened. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the Indianapolis 500. I didn't talk about it one time. It. I have a little bit of a beef with the Speedway. That's, that's a personal beef. It's not yeah. with any of the boys. It's just me and the Speedway have a personal beef. Uh, but for good reason. For good reason. Yeah, For good reason. Rightfully so. We won't get into it. There was one particular driver this past weekend that earned a lot of fans, both on social media and across the world probably, because he was an aggressive bitch. Mm -hmm. And this conversation we got to have with him was electric. I'm gonna be honest. Before we get to the race car driver, the lunatic that straps himself (laughs) to a rocket ship. (laughs) The man who changed the game on Sunday. Let me tell you about a company That's changing your mouth this summer. Oh, Oh, boy. Mm. Are you looking for an easy, affordable way to stock up for summer grilling as well as a great gift? Yes. You need to think Omaha Steaks. (laughs) (laughs) Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher, making special occasions easier since 1917. Oh, wow. Wow. 102 years of doing this thing. They know good meat for your mouth whenever they see it. Mm, Love it. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving a limited-time Father's Day gift offer to listeners of this show. You go to omahasteaks.com and enter code AMERICA in the search bar for 74% off the Father's wow. Day Steak Fixed Gift package. A $235 value now is only $59.99. Wow. That doesn't oh, make sense. They are giving away the company. Omaha Steaks is giving away the company. A seventy-four percent discount is not only stupid, not <laughs> only outrageous, but one that we need to take advantage of. Right now, you go to omahasteaks.com and enter code McAfee in the search bar. You get all of this for fifty nine ninety nine. You ready? Yes. Mm-hmm. Two tender filet mignon. Uh, Two bold top sirloins. Two savory pork chops. Four Omaha steak burgers. Four massive gourmet jumbo franks. Four crispy chicken fried steaks. All beef meatballs. Four premium chicken breasts. Four caramel apple tartlets for dessert. Uh, A packet of Omaha Steak Signature Seasoning. And, and... You'll get four extra Omaha steak burgers for free.
4: That's too yeah. much. Oh oh God. God. Too much. Need that meat.
0: 74 percent off. Two fillets, two sirloins, two perk pork chops, four Omaha steak burgers, up oh, eight Omaha steak burgers, yep. four massive gourmet jumbo franks, four crispy chicken fried steaks, all beef meatballs, four, mo- meatballs? four chicken breasts, and four caramel apple tartlets.
1: Keto Zito likes this.
0: That's insane. They're giving away the company right now at omahasteaks.com, enter code America. Not only a Father's Day present, mm-hmm. we've talked about this. Gift yourself. We're going into grilling season. Maybe buy a couple of these, yes. store mm-hmm. them up for later, put them in the freezer. Whenever uh, fall comes around and it's grilling season, oh, yeah. bang, we got all this shit. Omahasteaks.com, enter code America. 74% off. Give this amazing package as a gift for dad or stock up for incredible summer grilling. 74% off. Omaha Steaks delivers 100% guaranteed world-class steaks, burgers, franks, and more. Order with confidence from America's original butcher. Shout out Omaha. 102 years of doing this. I guess they know what they're doing. This sounds yeah, like a it. bad business move, <laughs> but it's great for us. OmahaSteaks.com, enter code America. Now, let's get to a man who did some damage in America's race. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now FaceTiming in from what looks to be a terrorist cave, a guy who is thin but mighty behind the wheel. Yesterday at the Indy 500 to 103rd running, there was a yellow and blue Napa know-how machine just weaving and dealing all the way to the very end.
6: He's a it's like player. a Ric Flair introduction, bro.
0: You deserve it, man, <laughs> after what you did the other day. He's won Appreciate the Indy it. 500 before. He was once yes. going to be a Formula One racer, came to America, man. won the Indy 500 in like his first race, and said, well, fuck it, I'll stay here in America. He's a host <laughs> of one of the greatest podcasts I've listened to off track with Hinch and Rossi, ladies and gentlemen, Alexander Rossi. Thanks,
6: man. Appreciate you.
0: Hey, thank you for joining us. Are you upset here a day after uh, coming in second in the Indy 500 by half a second? That has to be tough to swallow.
6: Um, I'm not happy about it. Uh, (laughs) It was a range of emotions yesterday, right? Because obviously the race started out. We had a good car. Um, You know, we got to the front when we needed to. And then, you know, shit kind of hit the fan and and we um, were dealing with a lot of different levels of adversity, I was probably the most angry I've ever been I've been in a race car. Um, kind of got to the lead with 15 laps to go, and ultimately we just didn't have the, the speed to get it done, so I was dejected at the end of the race, um, but ultimately you know, I think it was an awesome 130 running of the Indy 500, it was a great show, great to have NBC as a partner for this one, um, and, and to really bring IndyCar back to, to where it should be. So. Ultimately, it was a success for the series, which is good for all of us, but yeah, no. Today still sucks. <laughs> you
0: stole the show, man. I know salmon did the sweep of May here, winning the Grand Prix, the pole, and the any 500. He had an incredible car. There was a lot of chatter about that. But the way you were driving reminded me, of like back in the day when racing was like number one, when people like wanted to pull for their guy to go and get it, kind of balls to the wall. And I sure. feel like is that your style? Normally, you're a bit aggressive on a normal basis, but yesterday it seemed like a little bit of a different animal.
6: No, I think I, that is my style. It's just much. It's I don't let it out in verbally and as expressively as I did yesterday. So, the thing that really set me off, if, if we're going to be honest, was so we came into the pits from the lead, um, and for the third Indy five hundred in four years, like we couldn't get fuel in the car, and this was through <laughs> no fault of of any person. It was a mechanical failure. It happens to the best of them. But it was just like here we go again. We're coming in in a really good position, and the thing that's plagued me, granted, it it's what set me up for the victory in 2016, but irregardless, it's, it's been a, just a hurdle that we haven't been able to overcome for one reason or, or another. And um, you know, usually the pit stops are seven to eight seconds. This one was 23 seconds, and I just lost it. You were beating
0: the hell out of your little steering wheel there. They were talking (laughs) about how each of those steering wheels is like worth a million dollars. You're just beating the living hell out of that. So during the red
6: flag, they asked me. They were like, "Do we need to bring you the spare?" Because like they were concerned that like I broke the screen or something. And I actually I have a left wrist injury that I've had um, kind of since the winter. And I was beating it so hard with my right hand that now I have like a right wrist. I'm just doubly screwed for Detroit next week. (laughs)
0: Uh, You drove by a guy who was a lap down, and it seemed as if he was kind of blocking you. He was. Okay. (laughs) I think his name is Oriol Serbia or something like that. And (laughs) you drove by him at 220 miles an hour with your injured wrist now that we're knowing and you lifted it up in a fist, are you guys told that you can't flip middle fingers during the race and that was just kind of like, you get it, this is a fuck you?
6: I mean, we're not told, but I mean... You know, my par- my main partner's NAP Auto Parts, and then, you know, I drive for Honda. and I mean, those are two fairly conservative brands, so I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. But I think the point came across without me actually having to do it. I so, agree, 1,000%. I feel and like I, it was a win-win.
0: What I was impressed by is when I'm riding shotgun and somebody's driving on a highway, Okay.
6: Yes. I
0: like to do the air dolphin out the window. You know what I mean? Right. Dolphin, 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 yeah, dolphin, yeah. cobra. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and whenever your hand's locked up in that cobra, and if it's going like 70, 80 miles an hour, it's hard to get your hand yes. back into a standard window. You were going sure. 220 miles an hour, just rocking your fist like an old yeah. fucking man. <laughs> and then you had to get that thing back down in the cockpit. Were you a little bit worried that that thing wasn't going to come back in anymore? Well,
6: you see, I wanted to do the cobra or the dolphin, but I couldn't, I didn't have the range. Emotion, <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, but no I wasn't I at that point I I was so beyond kind of you know thinking about lot things logically I mean it, it honestly and I know this kind of sounds bad to say but it was it, it was that moment it was just a red mist fueled like 20 laps like it was I had had Elio Castroneves who was who was four laps down and the teammate to, to Simon Pagino uh, on Team Penske, who was purposely like getting in the way when Simon and I were on different pit stop strategies. Oh! Right? So that that was thing number one that kind of got me riled up. Then we had the pit stop issue, and then Servia was a lap down and blocking as I was trying to get my positions back. So it was these three things in the in the span of like 20 minutes, and I just at that point I was gone. Like it was, <laughs> I am going to win this race. I don't care. Period. End of discussion. And we got close, but ultimately it wasn't enough.
0: Hey, that competitiveness is nice to hear though. It's like in golf yeah. and in racing, it always feels like when people lose, they're like, Oh, we gave it a good go today, the car just didn't have it. It's like a it's I don't want to say it's too gentleman y for me, but it is. It's almost too gentleman y for me. Mm-hmm. Like like golf, if a guy misses, he's like, Oh, just the ball wasn't falling away. Well well, fuck it, it could have. You chose for it not to. In most <laughs> sports, in physical sports, there's a lot of competitive juices going. And I think you yeah. showing that is good for IndyCar. That's where I don't know. What everybody else is telling you, but I think it's good for IndyCar.
6: Well, well, dude, so like I I was disappointed, obviously, last night going out to dinner with kind of my close group of friends and family, and like we just started looking at the 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 social media, and people were like such a fan of that. I didn't, I never realized that because for me, you know, I came from racing in Europe, and you know, you're very much supposed to kind of be in this corporate box and kind of follow the script and do what they say and be who they, as the team, want you to be. And so coming to IndyCar, I knew that, you know, the fans really had an attachment to drivers and their personalities and who they actually were. But, like, I never really showed a a huge amount because still, like, you know, I go to the racetrack to do a job and the job is to win. And, you know, if we do that, then great. If not, it's a disappointment. But yesterday, like, people, I guess, had an an attachment to the frustration and anger a little bit. Yeah. That's cool. Well, it looked like you really wanted
0: to go win it as opposed to just let right. something. It was like you really wanted to go win that thing. And when you're talking about the Indy 500, you're talking about the grandest spectacle in racing yeah. or whatever. I mean, it was just cool to see that side. Danica, I watched the stream for the first time. I stole it. So you guys don't get any credit for that. I apologize. <laughs> Probably going to fuck up the contract later for you. But I Sweet, st- thanks. Yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, I think they should show it in Indianapolis. That's neither here nor there. I don't want to get into the business of it. But okay. uh, I stole the stream through Reddit. Shout out Nick, smarter than me. Sent me a stream to watch. In my house while i was watching my dogs so i'm all watch- nine of them too many dude
6: yeah
0: rossi there's too many animals there did you watch my ig story after the race
6: i didn't know huh.
0: <laughs> i thought it maybe brought you some solace i, I thought really i was part of it but yeah. uh i'm watching it and danica and dale earnhardt jr they're talking before the race right and it's right before the race goes off and i've been a part of this crew there's just humans on the racetrack literally seven minutes before the fucking race is about to kick off. Yeah. And they asked Danica about it and Danica gave this apology basically if she was ever rude to anybody because Danica does have a reputation around Indiana and Indianapolis (laughs) for being rude to humans and I assume it all revolves around this time here. She said you're so tunnel vision and so locked in you're just trying to get to your car but you got fans everywhere asking you for autographs and stuff like that. It could be a bit distracting. How do you handle the pre-race jitters knowing that you're about to go to war here for uh, 200 laps and really get after it
6: um honestly i see i disagree with danica i think the 500 is the most controlled race that there is so you know we look at like long beach for example and that is just an absolute kind of shit show of just humans all around your car and you're putting your helmet on and everything and they're asking for a selfie and autographs and like you, you you have to say yes even though in your mind you're like stay away like this is ridiculous i'm trying to, to to get in the car but the 500 i think they do a pretty good job of keeping it pretty much under control of, of who's out there but i i think the the more important side of it is you try and approach the morning as if it's just another race right you have your strategy meetings you meet with your engineer all of the normal things you would do any weekend but then you have an hour of kind of the pageantry and the build-up and And all of the the salute to service and um, the national anthem and and everything that goes along with the Indy 500 on Memorial Day weekend. And you can't help but be caught up in that moment. Like, there's just the, the emotions you have because you realize at that point that you're one of 33 people that are so lucky to be able to do that. So for me, that's the hardest part is kind of coming down from that high and getting back to, like, that killer instinct focused of, yes, this is really cool, but also, like... I have to go do something that's fairly extreme now and <laughs> <preferred> be <to jet. laughs>
0: A lot cooler if you win, too.
6: Yeah, yeah. way we'll cooler. Second's kind of irrelevant. I discre- Thanks for the reminder. No, I want <laughs> <let>, to <I wanna laughs> let you know,
0: I thought you won the race yesterday from a public standpoint. Now yeah. granted, Simon's going to get a much larger check and he's, he's going to have an, in, uh, an Indy 500 championship, which he hasn't yeah. had before, which you already have, so that's all good. But I think from a public standpoint, you won that fucking race, honestly. It was awesome to watch, dude.
6: Well, that's cool, and that's good to hear, man. Because like, there were so many people in 2016. Like, they didn't know who I was. It was my fourth IndyCar race. I, I truly, I didn't have the the appreciation for the 500. i had never been to one before. So I show up as this kid who, yes, I was American and grew up in California, but spent the majority of my adult life in Europe and was there for seven years. So I come back to this race, and, and I won on, on strategy, 100%. We did not have the best car that day. We didn't have the car to, 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 to win the race. But nonetheless, we won, and people were pissed. And, and in a way, like now that I'm three years removed from that and a full-time guy, like I can, I can almost see that. Because for me, the last thing I want is to go to the 500 this year and have one of like the, the part-time guys win. I mean, Connor would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been amazing. But like some of the other people, because it's just like you haven't you haven't been through the whole process of the year and the buildup and all of that. So I get I get why people kind of had that against me, whether it was right or wrong. Um, so the fact that you know we've been able to kind of straighten that ship in terms of public perception, I think is is really cool, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's going in the right direction.
0: Oh, we're just getting good with Alexander Rossi. (gasps) Heating up. Things are heating up. Heating up. Because there's levels to this shit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's good, then there's great. Alexander Rossi conversation goes from there to great in just a matter of moments. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something that'll be great from Jump. Joshua versus Ruiz. Anthony Joshua is coming to the United States to take on the destroyer, Andy Ruiz Jr. at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Joshua is arguably the best heavyweight fighter in the world. 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 Holding three of the four major heavyweight titles. He's 22-0 and and has won all but one of those fights by knockout. Let's go. 21 knockouts. For Anthony Joshua out of 22 fights. Must see TV. Ruiz, 32 wins with 21 knockouts as well, is looking to take advantage of his first ever world title fight. Will Joshua defend his IBF, WBO, and IBO world titles, or will Ruiz capitalize on the biggest fight of his life? There's only one way to find out, and that's on DAZN. Anthony Joshua versus Ruiz Jr. at Madison Square Garden in New York City. City, city. Forty-two knockouts combined by the two of them. This is going to be electric. Like a good fight. A lot of jaws getting popped. Some banging off. <laughs> right there on the Shout out to the zone for not only becoming a sponsor of this show but putting on what. Is going to be an electric fight between two heavyweights throwing it all on the line for the IBF, WBO, and IBO world titles. Three titles on the line, one fight, 42 knockouts between the two of them. I'll be excited to see if it gets past the first round. Hmm. Heavyweight, heavy hands, heavy shit from DAZN. Now back to Alexander Rossi. Well, I think you did an incredible job yesterday. When you're driving in real life,
6: Yes. You're a
0: road rage guy, aren't you? Yeah, it's, it feels I'm like- I'm not.
6: I'm really not. <laughs>
0: feels like you're probably a road rage guy.
6: I'm not. My girlfriend is. She is like one of the meanest human beings <laughs> on the planet when she's behind the wheel of a car, but I'm not. Do you sit
0: shotgun and that's completely okay?
6: No, no, no. She has road rage for me.
0: Oh, she's like in the go <laughs> Fuck
6: that guy. Yes, yes. But like way worse things than that.
0: <laughs> Diggs has a question for you.
5: Hey, have you had words, uh, or will you have words since the race has ended with uh, Mister
6: Servia? I haven't seen him, but we all get to go to the banquet tonight, so I'll be seeing him there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so you all get put on this awkward podium to talk. You have to thank all of your sponsors. You have to. It's, yeah. I, it, it, only people in Indianapolis, I think, get to watch this. It's, it's the Correct. most awkward thing in the history of anything. Uh, well,
6: and what's awkward is they start. So it's kind of, it's, it's awkward, but it's also entertaining because they start at 33rd. So they're like the last finish, the guy that finished last. And so then like he – it's kind of like 33rd to 25th. They're like giving their sob stories and then 25th to 15th is, oh, I'm the man or woman. I should have won but these are the things that screwed me and then 15th to 1st or 15th to 2nd are just the guys that are pissed off cuz they probably had a realistic shot but didn't get it done and then the guy that won's happy so it's actually really funny
0: so for those that don't know in Indianapolis there's an awards banquet every Monday following the Indy 500 and they give everybody a chance to speak like he just said everybody goes up on a podium they're asked like hey you're getting a $27,000 check uh, how do you feel about that and then they just go into this full speech about their day and it's just like this and that. And sometimes there's some shots taken. I'll be excited to hear who takes shots at who or if it'll remain a professional operation up there.
6: Man, there's some drama, right? Because Graham and Sebastian had had an issue. Hey, whose fault was that? I think Sebastian.
0: So they were split on the TV. It, it always feels yeah. like anytime there's a situation, like it, it's almost like wrestling. Like Half of them take the one side, half of them take the other side because they don't want to bury anybody else. But it was very much like a, well, I mean, he did come down. Ray Hall could have laid off. The thing
6: with that one is I truly think it was a racing incident. Like it's, I, I would say it's 60% Sebastian's blame. So like still weighted towards him, but it's not like it was completely his fault. So that's a tough one.
0: Graham Ray said that's how people die.
6: <laughs> <laughs> about, yeah, well. That's dramatic.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
6: um, Ain't no one dying yesterday.
0: It seemed like everybody was happy for Simon Pagenaud though. Frenchie. sure, man.
6: And again, it's kind of what I alluded to earlier. He's been in the series for, what, 13 years. He's obviously incredibly talented. He's a past IndyCar champion. He drives for one of the best teams in the sport. Um, it's really frustrating that Team Penske now has 18 Indy 500s. I mean, that's just. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's yeah. That's it's not great. Lot. That's a but lot. Hey, that, that I mean, guy's
0: kissed a lot of bricks. Doing a good job.
6: <laughs> that
0: guys kissed a lot of bricks over there.
6: Kissed a lot of bricks. Yeah. And R- the fact that it's only his 50th anniversary is also wild to think
5: about. Rossi, <laughs> with like five laps ago, it was it was kind of clear that whoever was in second had the advantage as far yeah. as speed. And the, was there ever like a strategy in your mind? maybe wait to make a move with, like, three, two, three laps left and then try to hold off with a lap left? Or were you just trying to get to the
6: front no matter when you could? Tony Kanaan, yeah.
0: Tony Kanon said that he thinks Simon kind of set you up for that
6: move. 100% that was the strategy. Here's the problem. From when that green flag flew on the final restart and I just got driven by, like, mm-hmm. he was like, okay, cool, bye. <laughs> I was flat. For the 13 laps that it took me to catch Flat him
0: means pedal down all the way. Full
6: throttle, 100%, didn't yeah, lift. Got it. Right? To the point, and I had every setting in the car from a mechanical standpoint at its most aggressive, um, like qualifying spec that, you know, the car is the most on the knife edge, the most free, and you're trying to get tens of miles an hour. And it was to the point where after I was flat for 10 laps and not really going anywhere. I radioed to, like, my engineer. I was like, do you have any suggestions? Because I'm, like, out of ideas. I don't I don't have a solution to catch this guy, right? They, they were just that much quicker. So, like, when I got the run, it was like, I don't want this, but screw it. Like, I don't have a choice. This yeah. is the only time I've actually been able to close the gap. Whether he gave it to me or not is irrelevant. Um, Agreed. It was, the, it was the only chance I had. And all I could do at that point was hope that I was able to, like, kind of take enough – air off of his car that maybe like takuma or joseph would jump him and i could build a, a, a buffer with other cars but i knew that if i passed him i was screwed but i didn't have a choice bro there's
0: <laughs> so much science into this fucking yeah thing. because yeah. down the down the final call it, old simon was weaving back and forth so you couldn't yeah. catch any uh any slingshot i didn't like, work fucking...
6: in the derby, did it? <laughs>
0: i get what you said there hey topical hey should have went to challenge hey there was talk about potentially him blocking you is that a real conversation
6: yeah it was and i mean it's a legitimate thing but it's also the last lap of the indy 500 and i don't fault him for it like i would have done the same thing so was it a gray area against the rule probably but like should he be penalized for it no
0: Okay, so I'm that's happy that, I'm I'm happy that didn't happen, that. by the way, because on NBC, if the Derby had that type of thing and then the <laughs> oh, Indy 500 oh, had man. that type of thing, it would have been tough. It would
6: have been It would have fu- been bad. It, it no, he deserved to win the race. Like, he was on pole. He led 120 laps. Like, that's ridiculous. So, I mean, yeah, he was, he was the guy.
1: Do you, you talked about social media earlier, and you were yeah. surprised the response you got. Do you see this happening more and more? Because it seems like IndyCar, like Pat said, is the last sport to embrace the fact that it's such a personality driven fandom. It's a
0: great call, Todd.
6: Um I think so. I, yeah, I mean I, I think that there's we're putting more stock in it and more relevance in it. And I think you're starting to see guys, kind of personalities come out in in a stronger light. It's kind of why, as you mentioned, thank you Pat at the top of the show, James and I have this podcast. It's to try and and get engagement because people, you know, yeah, it's it's cool and all that we have that we're race car drivers and, you know, we have this you know biggest single day sporting event in the world once a year but there's no relatability to that like people can't understand what we're really doing we can watch the NBA playoffs and realize how hard it is to do what those guys do people can't go get in a race car and understand what it is. So so we have to connect with them in a different way. And the way to do that is we're real human beings with real lives and real Absolutely. funny shit that goes down and, and we want to share it with you.
0: And real lunatics too, man. Strapping yourself to a two hundred and twenty mile an hour rocket driving five hundred miles an hour amongst three hundred thousand people that are drunk and probably won't remember most of it as the <laughs> Won't remember any of it, no. <laughs> no, not a single minute. Do you know do you realize the fans? Do you even notice the
6: fans? So you do. So so there's like we have a week of practice leading up to the 500 and for the most part the stands are empty and you kind of get visually used to your reference points and and things Uh. that you're using as as kind of visual cues um around the racetrack but the first time you go into turn one and the grandstands are full it's almost like turn one becomes 50 percent narrower because like there's no light coming in anymore. You can't really see through the grandstands and it's kind of a, Uh, a head trip to a certain extent until you get used to it in in the first three or four laps. So yeah, you 100% notice fans.
0: You just froze. I mean, (laughs) that was a great answer, but your face just froze here. So we're just staring at a... That's that's awkward. We're staring at a frozen Alexander Raw. It doesn't look bad, though. Like when my face freezes on FaceTime, normally it's stuck in like a a weird... uh, Yeah. You look like a model right now.
6: (laughs) That's good, man.
5: I do want to let you know, though, there was quite a cheer on... You could hear it on the TV broadcast when
6: you did take the lead. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool man. I'm thank you. I mean I'm I'm happy to hear that. Like that's again such a departure from where we were 4 years ago in 16. So it's a uh...
0: Yeah, but sometimes you you in especially in the indie car world from what I'm learning all the fans have been fans for 40, 50 years, so they got their favorites, so whenever a new guy comes in and shakes it up a little bit, they're not going to love it. You know what I mean?
6: But that's the other problem. We, we need more 20-year-old fans.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that'd
6: be neat. <laughs> we need like a 20 to 25-year-old fan base of females.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh! now we're talking. A lot of dudes out there is what you're saying. A lot of, a lot
6: of dudes. dudes in racing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rossi, we appreciate you so much, man. Good luck in Detroit. I hope appreciate you saw some people down at the fucking uh, gala thing tonight. I, I can't wait. It's to It's going to
6: you- be interesting. Hey, I'm excited to-, to bring it up. Remember this. It.
0: Remember this. You won the race um, from a PR standpoint, I'd say.
6: Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Has
0: there ever been a fight with the gulls Oh, yeah. Graham Rahal got out of his car and, like, screamed in the guy's face and then slapped the back of his helmet.
6: Oh, but at the award ceremony? I mean, there might be this year. <laughs> oh We're releasing
0: this tomorrow, so there's, like, no tease. There's no good tease. Uh, Rossi, I appreciate you so much, man. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. He's a very cool podcast. Kind of getting in the minds of these lunatics uh, that do incredible things. The Indy 500 is only one day a year, but I know you guys are professionals. The other 364. I can't thank you enough for joining us, man. Really, really good shit on the, in that race, too.
6: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: I can't believe you you, you just fisted it, though. I don't know how you <laughs> hold back your anger there and just keep that fist out the thing.
6: Well, the, there was so much airflow, my finger actually couldn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> what if he lifts his
0: finger and okay.
1: dislocated
6: <laughs> it? snapped off. <laughs> uh, fuck.
0: Black flag. Uh, thank Not you so again. Ladies and gentlemen, runner-up. Of the 103rd running of the Indy 500, but champion of the 100th running of the Indy 500 from California by way of Europe, representing the Napa know-how Andretti team, the young, studly, booed up, by the way, congratulations on having sex, Alexander (laughs) Rossi.
6: Awesome.
0: Hey, thanks, man. Good luck tonight.
6: Yeah, no worries. Appreciate it. You Take did
0: you absolutely cried. I was so it was fun to watch. Normally I watch at the track, right? This year I didn't yeah. get, I watched from home. It's so much better on TV.
6: Uh yeah. As yeah. I mean that makes sense. I mean racing's hard to follow. It's not like it's not like a football game, right? Like it's hard to understand really what's going on. So TV mm-hmm. does a much better job.
0: Well, and then whenever people are lapped and then they're in the middle of it, mm-hmm. it's like yes. I th- I think this guy is up front and they're like, "Well, the numbers are on the side of their car." And it's like, "Yeah." It's very difficult to see, you know
6: what I mean? Speaking of, like, (laughs) you'll appreciate this. So I was racing, I was like in fourth at the time behind Joseph. And um, they were like, okay, you've got Bourdais behind and then, dailies and six i was like what
0: (laughs) (laughs) did you say that
1: Serious?
0: (laughs) (laughs) hey good for connor man hey how did you feel proud of him he did such a good job
5: how'd you feel when you so after the after the bad pit stop you like he was one of the victims that you had to pass on your way back up did he let you go by easier than the other people
6: so I don't think he realized I was coming as quickly as I did. And then when he did, he kind of little, made a little move to try and stop me. But I, at that, like I said, at that point, it was like red.
0: <laughs> hey, Carter, get your, get your little fucking shark costume. <laughs> just,
6: just move. <laughs>
0: hey, see you, dude. Thank you so Go much.
6: Right. See you. Later.
0: I don't think there's any chance for one-hit wonders anymore. Let me tell you why. Lil Nas X, right now, he has so many fans that are so like personal with him that they love him that no matter what he puts out is going to be a heater. We're in the era of being a fan of the person, not the music. No matter what Lil Nas X puts out next, I'm not saying it's not going to be a heater. I'm assuming it will be because if you get in the studio one time and you make that fucking old town road, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're going to be able to do it again. But I think the era of one hit wonders will never happen again unless somebody quits making music after making one
4: yeah, hit. Yeah, I actually really like this take and I think it's you're really correct. spot I do on. Too. Yeah, unless someone like, dies or just gives it up completely? No, I think you're correct there.
1: Yeah, I never thought of it because you're going to get so much fame and you're going to get an army instantly with that first hit.
0: And he's on Twitter
4: very They're
1: not going to just disappear.
0: No, he's very active on Twitter too, so he's got a loyal group of following – Hey, there's no whatever he puts out next, in their eyes, is gonna be a heater regardless.
6: Yeah. yeah. Do you think it could face the issue though of like that was like the quintessential heater? So people are
4: always comparing everything he does. I think maybe to that. like
0: the people who are kind of in the the bubble fans mm-hmm. potentially or be like, well, oh, this is nowhere near Old Town Road, mm-hmm. but like his diehards in there? Whatever he puts out next is going to be a better They'll
1: support him no matter what.
0: I mean, look at look at uh Foxy whenever Kanye released that next album that we have not True. listened to one single song <laughs> from those seven. <laughs> All in. Nobody has listened to any of those songs, though, since. All Nobody in. has listened to one single song from that Kanye album that came out, the seventh song. Nobody has listened to him. But that first week, everybody's like, oh, you gotta listen to it numerous times. <laughs> That's what I was being told. That was me. Yeah, that was you. You loved it. Nick, I think, also liked it. I think there was numerous people that were like Yikes was good on it. You gotta listen to it numerous. That was the one song. Yeah. When was the last time? All mine. Good. I liked that one. No, that's the yeah.
4: yikes in the gym sometimes.
0: It's a bold-faced lie. <laughs> yes. so maybe not from you, but Zito <laughs> Yeah, lying. Zito, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Kanye has those fans, just like Drake has those fans. Everybody, whenever and we, by the way, have those fans. We put out some shitty episodes. People listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, weird. not above it. But this I'm just is not saying one of them. We're in the world. This is not one of no. them. No. But we're in this world now where it's like. It's a family, just like I was telling uh, Frank Caliendo and Clayton Anderson. It's like a family, more so, in friendship, more so than just a fan of the actual talent. That's why people go further for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I respect it, and I love it, but I do fear one of my dreams is to be a one-hit wonder. I'm not sure it's possible. No, I don't think, it's, I don't think it can happen. Rest not in today's piece. culture. Hey, by the way, let have a moment silent Yes, for one-hit wonders. I get knocked down. Mumbo <laughs> number five. <laughs>
4: it's a good call. Oh, yeah. Lou Beggam.
5: He's the best.
0: Chubba right?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that the most recent one here, wonder.
4: I'm sure there's no, there's no. A
0: like
5: the fucking Friday song, and fucking wasn't night.
4: me that wasn't a real hit, though. I don't think I was getting radio. Shaggy,
0: yet, but... I think Shaggy has a couple other hits. Yeah, Mr. Boom Bastic, bro. Yeah, Shaggy has a couple has other hits. Dude. Don't you ever say anything about, about Shaggy again, <laughs> <laughs> not on this. Fucking I Shaggy, Shaggy just took personally. a couple of years
4: off. And by the way, you hear
0: Zito talking all this time? You hear Zito talking in this microphone? Yeah, cackled his tongue whenever Rossi was in. What wasn't he?
4: Oh, as soon as Rossi ended, Zito had a thousand IndyCar questions, yeah, for the guys in the room who don't know the answers to them.
0: I want everybody. That's listening. <laughs> to understand that Zito did a nine-hour stream the other night on Twitch. Nine hours he Twitch stayed TV here. backslash the Show. boy. Hey, nice. good plug right there. You're a <laughs> Great plug. Talks for nine hours on there. You know, he has an incredible brain. It honestly makes zero sense how scrambled <laughs> it is in there. But sometimes there's moments of greatness. As soon as Rossi got off the phone. I, I don't think it was less than 10 <laughs> seconds after Rossi got off the phone. Zito goes, I, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> 15 different questions, 15 different questions about IndyCar. And I was like, literally, we just had the guy on that won the Indy 500 and was second yesterday. He could ask these questions at any given time. He goes, I didn't know there was time.
4: Remember when Zito basically solved the mystery of the Shane Morris fake oh, yeah, story yeah. with the question every, he asked after the guy. Year. After. Yeah. And just, I,
0: I would like to make a statement. It, it, do we have the breaking news thing or whatever? I would like to make a statement about what happened on last week's episode following the J.J. Watt interview after the Clayton Anderson Run Wild Song debut. Something happened on this show that I do feel bad about. I've told numerous stories about manti Te'o being catfished. (laughs) I've talked about professional athletes getting catfished all across the country due to Modern technology of dating and fornicating. I've talked about it. On more than one occasion, I've talked about it. And I've said that I'm an eternal optimist. I walk into a casino, I want to leave said casino with every single chip in said casino. Yep. When I walk into a situation, I automatically assume the greatest thing is going to happen. People tell you to expect little so that you're never disappointed. Disappointed. I live by the complete different motto. <laughs> I expect the world. And if it doesn't come, am I disappointed? Nope. I just go on to the next thing. See you later. Let me go ahead and erase it. So when I read a thread, a Twitter thread, on this particular program that was 72 tweets long, took up two hours of time, <laughs> and then we followed up with a Q&A with said guy afterwards, was I skeptical of it being true? Of course you were. No.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Diggs was. Oh, very. I believe the rest of the room was. And maybe in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what? Possibly not true. But the fact that this guy went so far out of his way to lead everybody astray, and they say fiction is not as crazy sometimes as nonfiction. People say that.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I've heard yeah. yeah.
0: I've heard real life can be crazier than fiction sometimes. yeah Also a quote. Yeah. Probably the most accurate one. Mm-hmm. Probably a real quote. The first one I said, probably not a real quote.
1: <laughs> a it is
0: now. But I thought, potentially, Shane Morris and I, we're going to have a great relationship.? Okay. Whether the MS-13 people killed him or not, I thought, you know what? this guy, I want to give him a platform to answer some questions because there was a lot of people skeptical of said story. It ended up with 60-some thousand retweets, this Twitter thread. I was retweet number 98. I almost felt like I had an obligation to get this guy's story out there because I could have hit the little sonic speed burst thing on that Twitter thread to other people. Do I feel betrayed by Shane Morris? No, because I never really liked the guy. (laughs) No, he didn't. I didn't really like the guy. I loved his story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't really like the guy. Right. And we actually edited out him reading through the Twitter thread.
5: (laughs) Oh, man. About 50 minutes of it.
0: Because I wanted him to look better, actually. Mm -hmm. And if you come on this show, I am very thankful. I am very grateful. So I want to treat you with as much respect and hospitality, just like old Greeny does with ESPN. I wanted to give him a chance to kind of answer some questions that people had. Did Zito ask all those questions immediately after the guy hung up? Yes, but I do feel like Diggs hit him with a couple good ones. I do believe The Room asked him a couple good questions. And he lied. Did I get caught? I got caught. But I'm going to get mine more and I get caught.
3: There you <laughs> go. <laughs> Amen.
0: So fuck Shane Morris mm-hmm. and fuck that Twitter thread. But I'm still following him on Twitter.
5: We want to see what this is.
0: I would like to see where this catastrophe ends. He said he's going into hiding. Sounds like a bunch bullshit. of bullshit. Yeah. Started to go fund me to raise money for himself. Bunch of bullshit. Yep. I want to let everybody know, though, I'm still walking in a casino think I'm taking every fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> if another story like that pops up, I'm going for it. And you guys are going to just have to judge for yourself. Yeah. But the official statement from PMI about the Shane Morris Twitter thread, about the MS-13 thing, about coming on this thing, is fuck up. Hashtag endgame, hashtag endgame. Uh, I would like to be, um, just cheer me up after the Shane Morris situation. That's mm, I got caught. Yeah. I like to think I can filter through bullshit on a regular basis. It didn't happen. I'm a little down. A little down on my luck. Hmm. Actually, it looks pretty good right now. (laughs) (laughs) I got that fortune cookie this weekend. It said I'm about to be unusually successful Mm -hmm. in business. Oh yeah. And I sent it to Foxy. Uh Lucky numbers were 1, 12, 22, and something else. And I just took a picture of it and I sent it to Foxy. And he goes, Pat, you eat that thing. (laughs) Number one, your number. Number 12, my number and it says you're going to be successful in business, don't throw our business away. Eat that thing. So I went ahead and put it right in my pocket. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't eat it. You know
1: what Shane Shane Morris was? You had just waxed your car. You went to the car wash. You waxed it. You had it looking good. You got on the road. A fucking bug hit your windshield, and it splattered, and you're like, God damn it, I just washed and waxed my car. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. I have window washer fluid. And then, it was gone.
0: See what just That's what he was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because Ty just edited out the whole thing. From the podcast from before? Mm-hmm. Never happened. Never, never happened. happened. Gone. Maybe we take out this whole part. Didn't happen. Exactly <laughs> like it never happened. Good for us. Gone. Happy Memorial Day. <laughs> Fuck them. Fuck F E. Well, for Shane Morris, it's F H. Oh, God geez. damn it. I can't figure it out. I think you can. How about F Z? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Zeno. That's the show. Ty Schmidt, hit the music.
1: I get-